You're listening to Ricky Pirate Radio, the official anime and manga podcast for In Between Drafts. I'm John Negroni. And I'm Travis Hymas. And today we're doing a manga recap of One Piece chapter 1072 or 1072. I just like saying 107. I don't know. It it reads better to me. <laughs> but this one's called The Weight of Memory. And obviously we're going to be discussing the weight of spoilers for the One Piece manga up until this point. So if you have not read the chapter yet, you can read it right now for free on the official Viz website up to three weeks after its official release, which is today, January 22nd, which we're going to link in the show notes. All right, Travis, got to start with the big question because this is a beefy chapter in terms of theories and speculation and world building. And I'll say real quick, like if we get anything wrong here and or if you, the listener, have something insightful you want to add, you can let us know in our Discord. Uh, we have a link to join our Discord and hang out with us in the One Piece spoilers server or the general One Piece talk for non-spoiler issues. That's in the show notes. But Travis, beefy chapter. What did you think of this one? It's it's very much what we were talking about before when we did 1071. There is just so much happening so fast. It feels almost like we're like it's all very one piece, but it also we're moving so quickly and getting so many answers and layers to this. It feels like uh, we're compressing everything compressing you mean just like compressing like uh the story that we're getting just, like we're, we're not just like if, uh, if i were to explain a little better um we're not know, going off we, tangents we, we're like new tangent, characters but you, re- and, you yeah. remember you know you remember before you were talking about dress rosa and how there were often multiple flashbacks and things felt a little dragged out it feels like if this were a normal one piece arc everything that happened in this chapter would have been stretched over four five six maybe even ten chapters i see that yeah yeah so and that's not that's not a criticism of either direction but it is just a reminder that we are in uncharted territory in the most literal sense here well i'll say you know i i get a lot of uh, heat for this but these this was the what i liked about both zoe and whole cake island i actually felt like whole cake island kind of moved along at a brisk pace like i think people didn't like reading that week to week but and i get that but i just felt like we were in this like island, the characters we were being introduced to were relevant and very interesting, but we were always kind of staying in with the plot. Like it was always very focused on the Sanji Putty wedding. And I'm kind of feeling like that's that this kind of chapter too. You know, we're not going in a bunch of different directions. We're not doing this whole thing where it's like three straight chapters for just one satellite's character journey or something. Uh, there's a lot of mixing around, but yeah, let's walk through this one because I think the I think the main part of our discussion is going to be the last couple pages, but that's not to say that we don't have plenty of other things to talk about that lead up until the final big reveal, right? Yeah. Uh, first off, we do have the the cover story, which uh, is very interesting. I still can't get over that. Uh, so many people speculated that Caesar Clown, for example, was going to be like more of a like a cabin boy of Mads, you know, kind of like the young apprentice because he's not perceived as like that talented but we see him in the cover story he's like you know he's a contemporary with queen and judge and uh, i do think it's interesting too that the germa 66 cover story has been so like unceremoniously hijacked by these flashbacks what do you think it's it's very funny uh because it's not completely being hijacked right like judge is right there we're still doing germa 
Uh, th- this is uh, like you like, like you were saying, we're not spending extra time in Whole Cake Island having Judge meet Caesar and doing all of this in the actual story. We're now expanding the concept of a cover story to do things that Oda doesn't want to do in an SBS, wants to actually write in, and uh, it, they're becoming incredibly relevant as we go on. It's it's a uh, very well done work for a single page uh, of a, a single panel of a page, nonetheless. Yeah, it makes me wonder, too, if we're actually going to get a lot of this stuff in the anime, like if they're going to cover this material a bit differently when we get to Egghead in the anime and we these are kind of relevant. I mean, I don't know how relevant, but I don't know if they can really get away with not kind of at least having some flashbacks or some material showing Mads. But I guess we'll find out more if that's going to be important a little later. In the I manga. think just the fact that Kuzan shows up in the cover story and then shows up also in a chapter with the event, with the same event, I think we are to a point now where they're going to have to do it. But that's fine. I've always been okay with them doing like the one or two episodes that they've done before when a cover story became relevant to what's mm-hmm. going on. Just knocking those out almost like filler episodes. Totally fine. No problem yeah, with that. Because we we haven't even gotten anything for like, you know, the uh Lola and like all that. That 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 cover story, for instance. We didn't really get any of that in the anime. We didn't really get anything with like the Straw Hat Grand Fleet. Like we haven't even we haven't seen them, we haven't heard from them in the anime. So I feel bad for anime only watchers because you're missing out on like so much fun stuff because the cover stories tended to do a lot of that extra backfilling. Uh, I also want to mention uh, there's something interesting to me about Judge having his like spear thing. For some reason, I thought that he he didn't have that for a long time. I don't know why I thought that, but that's just been something that's kind of been bugging me in the background. Uh, maybe it'll come to me later uh, why well, I thought that was interesting. I think interesting. you're noticing that time is passing, because the time between the last cover story and this cover story, just look at Queen. Mm-hmm. He, he's yeah, already Queen does his, different. His body has already started because, you know, his whole thing about his weight gain and like becoming like this optimal beast of a person. Um, You're already seeing that happen. Um, And because we know that about, you know, we know who all three of these men are and we know what their stories have kind of been just from what they've told us about themselves. We can now judge that time is passing from that first cover story to now. And notably, there's only three of them rather than the five we saw previously. Yeah, it seems like the last chapter was like the beginning of Mads, and now we're kind of like, this is them sort of hitting their stride, it looks like, because it says mass-produced weapons of slaughter. So this is like when they're creating their individual, you know, I think like pet experiments, right? Like Queen has like the chemist materials, like he's going to make the plague virus and stuff like that. Caesar has the devil, like looks like a smile fruit that he's developing. And then Judge is a little bit less clear. Like he's kind of like pointing the spirit down, but you know, he obviously has his clones and everything, or he has like the, the artificial children that he wants to create, which comes into play in this chapter very significantly. Cause then <laughs> we go to this whole thing about, it, it looks like it's a, something being written in a diary or a letter. We don't really know the context for the second person kind of thing that we're getting in the beginning, but it's talking about, you know, oh, this person was cloned, but, you know, they're a true and undeniable human being and it was successful, a living, breathing person. And we don't really get context for what this is even referring to uh, until the end of the chapter. But I thought that was an interesting storytelling technique because it's not the narrator, right? No, it's not. They, uh, they've done this a few different times in the past. It's usually a reference to a book or something Robin is reading. Um, 
Yeah. You know, we, we've seen it before. It um, has a sign off. I forgot to mention. So it says yes. from Dr. Vegapunk, director of Mads Laboratory for Peace. Yeah. It, it almost feels like a scientific journal. Yeah. Or something like that. But yeah, hard to say exactly what it is, but uh, we'll get to the payoff on that later. Right. Um, speaking of payoffs, um, we have this whole thing where Bonnie is like pretending to be uh, hurt and injured so that Vegapunk will stop running away. And then, of course, she gets all violent and starts attacking him. And I thought this was weird because like, OK, she seems to believe Vegapunk is evil enough to straight up kill her father for seemingly no good reason. But she also believes that he's a good enough person to fall for this whole like her pretending to be injured and needs help. So like we know that she spent time with Vegapunk, grew up, you know, on Egghead in part, right? Like she's not a stranger to him. She seems to understand that he's not inherently a bad dude. So it makes to me makes it interesting to me that she has this like very irrational temper toward him. Like she's willing to be violent and threatening him. Like it's definitely irrational. And I'm really hoping that we get more backstory that explains this. I I hope it's not just waved away. This is the moment that I want to bring up a question, and I'm hoping you have an answer for me because uh, it, it dawned on me reading this. Do we know the name even of Bonnie's devil fruit? Uh, good question. I, I thought we did. Let me double check that. Or let me just back to Did you look it up already? No, I, I, I kind of poked around, but I, I tried not to uh, spoil the fun here for this too much by reading too it's far. A, it's unnamed. Things. Yeah, it's an unnamed paramecia type devil fruit that allows okay. her to alter the age of other people and her own as well. See, and so now we are seeing in this in this section her doing more than that. Yeah. We see this. We see this devil fruit doing things we've never seen it do before, and I wonder if things like her personality have been affected by it. Because because you, you, you're like it's irrational, but is it so much that it's not consistent as it is between an adult Bonnie and a child Bonnie going back and forth? Mm. Or a fair you know, question. It, yeah, it may because- just be an effect. Yeah, because I was going to mention this, too, because the next thing she does is she uses a technique called age skewer, and it does something that we've seen before where it takes Vegapunk and it turns him like very, very young. But it's very different from when we've seen her do this to like Jimbei, for for instance, when she turns him young. We don't see all these like uh, they're called sparkling gems, like popping out of Jimbei, but they pop out of Vegapunk. So it made me wonder a bunch of things like, first of all. Like, why did this happen for Vegapunk? Is it because he is older and like has more, you know, experience? Um, it it's interesting to me because to what you were saying, it's taking something that's intangible experience and turning it tangible, which we immediately get this whole thing in this chapter about that being Kuma's power. And so it keeps making me wonder, like, is this a devil fruit ability at all? Right. Like she has a double fruit ability. Kuma has a double fruit ability from the pawpaw fruit. Mm -hmm. But is this aspect of it or is there some aspect of both of them that has to tie into their like mysterious race? Right. That they seem to have some power that to what I can tell seems to exist outside of their double fruit abilities. Right. It, uh, I mean, we'll we'll uh, we'll pop into the flashback piece of this, and I think talk about that a little bit more. But I also want to call attention to the other power she puts forward that I think is even more interesting than that. Mm, like breaking uh, the lock is the uh, is the distorted future move where oh, she right, almost yeah. does her own like gear fourth form, right? And kind of bulks up, and that's that's interesting. Just the very just the very notion of it not of like somebody's future 
not being a straight line like she takes a different form than she's taken before she did that to luffy right like she turned him into like the version of the pirate right. who doesn't become pirate king like the the luffy who's like old and frail right so i i mean clearly there's some sort of double fruit power still in play here but it's it's doing things that we have not seen before i would almost compare it to again like gear fourth except we know luffy's fruit isn't actually a paramecia so mm-hmm I'm I'm morbidly curious as to how any of this works. Do the jet can can she absorb those gems, even if it doesn't right. work permanently? If that's it a physical like thing, a, because it's egghead, right? It reminds me of like Sonic, like you're losing your rings and you can yeah. like absorb them again. There is something kind of funny about that. And I was gonna say too, because we're gonna talk about awakenings later and how there's just so much confusion around them when it comes to Zoans and Paramecias, specifically like when we see like Luffy do Gear Fourth he has like those clouds like he has like the the look of like an awakened zoan like normal zoan not mythical but we'll we'll get to that stuff too but that's just been bugging me i'm like where are we going with all that because none of it seems that consistent but it seems like there is like some kind of purpose that doesn't make sense right now that we'll understand later i think uh we also see kuma is still climbing up the red port the marines are blowing him up um so as this is like paralleling with bonnie going into the laboratory we even get this uh kind of comedic thing where you know she she like goes over toward this door and like vegapunk's like no that has nothing to do with kuma and it has like literally a big paw print on it <laughs> she's like 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 ellen is uh but no i mean she's like she's threatening vegapunk even more and is like you know if you have a good reason for killing him then you need to tell me but he's like no i can't tell you i promised kuma i wouldn't and they're at odds obviously because clearly like this was kuma's choice and like bonnie can't accept it and she's struggling right and i think that it's uh it, it is sad but like it does have like the storytelling purpose of getting to the point where she has to like, experience it for herself so we see the big paw print memory and it looks like we're moving toward this thing where it's the flashback of this chapter is going to be her experiencing the memory of her father which i actually think is a really nice touch like it's different we're not just going to do this sort of like a character explaining something and then the audience gets to you know view it and Instead, it's tying back to this power that we know that Kuma has, but we've, I think we've only seen him use once before in, in canon, this, right? Yeah, in this form, and it's very much supposed to communicate uh, what what you're saying it is, that whatever happens here is going to hurt, but mm-hmm. also it's deviated because, and when we get to the anime, it's going to have to find probably a different color code or something for this to help communicate it. But she straight up tells Vegapunk, no, I'm very familiar with how my father's powers work. This isn't pain. So it looks like what happened to Zoro, but it feels like it's going to process very differently. When uh, I could see that. Yeah, because what happened to Zoro was, for people who don't remember in Thriller Bark, what happened happened. is... Uh, nothing happened you're right uh no kuma <laughs> took the pain all the pain from luffy that he had experienced during the fight with oars and with moria and all of that and allowed it to transfer to zoro through that paw print and it laid him out right uh, but he was able to withstand it just barely so it's something that vegapunk says here that like this could kill bonnie so it seems to be related in that sense but to what you're saying she seems to have a different idea of how this will happen right because it's more about a memory and the pain of memory right and and i find that interesting emotional pain rather than physical pain exactly yeah yeah um but yeah this speaks i think again to i think there's something kind of weird going on here with kuma and jewelry bonnie's powers and like they're 
whatever race they're part of. It seems to be one of the races that uh, Big Mom never got to, or maybe Big Mom doesn't even know that this race exists because she said, I think there were like two races that she didn't have any on her crew, two or three. I think one was Lunarian, one was a giant. And I don't know if this is like a third one, but that that's a whole other thing. I don't know if we'll ever get that paid off, but, uh, or if we're wrong and that he is some kind of like, or he's, you know, Kum and Bonnie aren't part of some mysterious race. I forget how all that checked out, honestly. We, like, uh, she has said that Kuma is a part of a race. We don't know what race right. that is. And some people think she's adopted, but we don't have that confirmed. For sure. I, I, have, I have some new crazy theories, but that we yeah. have saved for now the Now that end. we have clones, um, um, there's okay. all kinds of theories that can happen. Yeah, in that, in that section, though, we also get a flashback with uh, Kuma, Vegapunk yeah. and Kuma. Yeah, so he mentions the 21 grams uh, of lost weight after you die being a soul, and he references a scholar in the West Blue, who I think is Dr. Hogback. Uh, and you, when I when I told you my theory for that, you did not argue. <laughs> you were like, oh, yeah. No, that seems pretty. Um, that seems pretty spot on. Especially, um, there's actual real life. Um, did some digging in this. There's real life point of reference for where this is coming from yeah it's like a pseudoscientific um, theory it's a pseudoscience from like a, yeah yeah like a century ago there was like an experiment to see if yeah if you could lose your i forgot the it's, name of the scientist but he was a bit um, of a fr- uh, fraud it, yeah it's, it's some it's a mac uh, what uh he, he was scottish or something but uh it, that sounds like hogback you know what i mean um mm-hmm. slightly uh ethically dubious questionable science behind it that sounds like uh sounds like him i don't know if and that's it, super relevant yeah. to anything but i think uh, I, I think, think it makes sense catch. well i think it's a nice atmosphere atmosphere thing like we may never get confirmation that it's him but you know it it, it just goes further with all of the like uh, referencing of thriller bark in this chapter it's so interesting because like we've been getting a lot of any's lobby in water seven and previous chapters now we're getting thriller bark which i was not really expecting but i probably should because that's when we really see kuma in action right um but uh yeah so that that that's what I was saying. Because who else would be that obsessed with souls? And then I looked it up and confirmed that for sure Doctor Hogback is from the West Blue. So it looks like that you know. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. I think it would make sense. I don't know if he'll actually get brought up here. He died, didn't he? He's or did he get captured? I forget what happened to him in the in the manga. It's been so long. Oh gosh, didn't he get defeated? I think he's alive, right? Well, alive being a tentative word here. Yeah, like I wonder if he was like. Uh, taken by kuma like um and sent to impelt i don't remember what happened to him to be so perona got away we know that well no she didn't perona get like um the she, she kuma got, she got, yeah she sent he sent her i don't know if he sent hog back that's I'm, interesting hmm. i'm gonna look it up because i kind of want to know I yeah feel look it up. it's been a, it's been a while since uh the keyboard's uh, actually, very clacky, yeah, so, so i don't want to type but i'm on that's the an interesting idea it says that after Moria's defeat, Hogback found and woke up Absalom, whom he explained the situation to before claiming that he would not die as a loser and asking Absalom what he wanted to do. So they left Thriller Bark in a smaller escape boat with the defeated Moria on board. So they couldn't find Perona. It looks like, yeah, they made it out. And then I think we did find out that Absalom was clearly taken by the Blackbeard pirates. They got his fruit, but I don't think we know. Yeah, they were uh, separated, right? At some point, they had to have been. Yeah, because it says here that we did see Hogback, or at least he was referenced in the Summit War, because after the war, it looks like they rescued Moria from Doflamingo because Doflamingo was ordered to kill him. Um, so I guess that's the last we know of him. 
Um, who knows what happened to him after that? Probably nothing. <laughs> He's probably just like hanging out. Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll have an answer to this in the NNSBS when the chapters come around for reprint. Yeah, like, do you think uh, Moria is ever going to come back to the story? People always talk about Enel, you know, and, you know, bringing the moon and the space pirates, but... I have always... Moria is an interesting kind of conundrum because I've always been curious specifically about the kill order with him. Oh, yeah, like, why they wanted to kill him? Like, uh, was this just a, hey, you let us down in this, so we want to get rid of you, which, like, I guess is fair, but, like, the other warlords were about as useful at stopping Luffy from doing anything, too, so it's very weird... And again, it being Doflamingo and Doflamingo knowing everything that he knows, it's being a, a celestial very, dragon, and right, you know, it looked it like just, Moria and Hogback were had some interest in immortality and the soul. Which uh, I know one of the more prominent theories about the celestial dragons, the Tenre Vito, the Gorsei, for in particular, is that they are immortal, or they at least have like an ability to not age. Um, and it has something to do with law. It has something to do with the entire construction of the world. There's, there's a lot of theorizing about that. So I could see, you know, the danger of somebody like Moria being that like, oh no, we don't want you to discover this. I don't know. That's a bit of a, a stretch, <laughs> I think, but yeah, yeah I, I want to point stretch. out, I want to point out really quickly here that we just spent like maybe five to 10 minutes dissecting a th- one line in a panel of this. Because I know That's we have what people we do, who don't, Travis. yeah. <laughs> like, um, like we, I know we have people who listen to this that are not caught up or not super like sure about why we're like this all the time. But like, this is the <laughs> kind of world building that we're talking about, where like yes. even a thread like this can like go somewhere on our uh, Pepe Silva conspiracy board and tie back into this, and then next thing you know, we're talking about stuff that happened 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, we can't do this with like black we can't can't do this this with black clover for instance no (laughs) no it's and 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 not all of it's like you know it's it's not just oda super genius but also it's oda super genius but like it's just kind of how this story has grown organically where like even if this isn't an intentional thing someone's gonna write a letter to oda in japan he's gonna read it and go actually that's a good idea let's just yeah, that's canon now whatever you know like, <laughs> yeah why not that's happened before it, you know it's uh so like i said i think you're pretty on the money with this um what do, do you it? think about the idea yeah. though um of it being accurate do you think the soul it's like this is actually talking about the soul is that the soul of kuma in that paw print mm. i mean does that paw print look like it weighs 21 I, grams i mean I don't, I don't know. It looks like a, like a balloon to me. So <laughs> well, like, yeah, yeah. How much is 21 grams? I'm American. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it doesn't well, look like I it weigh, weighs, I weigh, right? I weigh my food because I have a problem where I don't eat enough in certain days. Like I've, I've gotten in trouble where like, oh gosh, like I, I have a threshold for how much I'm supposed to eat. And okay. so I weigh things to make sure that I'm eating enough. Um, but 21 grams is not a lot. It's like not even close to like a typical serving of something like usually so, servings are like 80 grams you know, so would you say we're gonna hit my crazy nonsensical theory number one here would you say it's about the weight of a fruit possibly uh well the devil fruits probably weigh way more than that they probably weigh like half a pound or something i do i mean they just take over an existing fruit right 
Mm. Also, how does that work? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we, huh. we were, well, we were talking about dream, like dreams and maybe souls like being related to double fruits because they have to do with wishes. And, you know, there is reincarnation in this story. So it's not far off to suggest that. Although you were saying earlier that like, oh, I'm going to gloat. I'm going to gloat. But I don't know if I don't know if your theory about Kuma being the one that that's, that's not called, the one. I'm, no, that's not my gloat that I have. I don't, planned. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's still possible, but I have a feeling that it's not going to be that um because, no i have yeah. a new theory on that i think uh but okay well, i'll let you speak yeah. that when you when you when you're when we get comes. there um, um but we do see Koma, uh, kuma get blown off the wall uh as he's climbing at Redport. Uh, as i mentioned earlier this is interspersing with the bonnie vegapunk stuff and the marines are trying to hold him down but he's still fighting them off uh he's still kind of glitchy though it looks like he's like in dire straits like the last thing we see of him is like he could get brought down here and i was wondering if uh if, if he does get brought down or something happens to him further i feel like they got to bring in a more recognizable like marine character here i think we see like a sem like one he's like shown up before like the guy with the headphones i guess but I, i'm expecting like if probably not an admiral but i could see you know like maybe a captain maybe uh, somebody somebody who's like higher up the chain who could maybe even a character we don't know yet uh coming face to face with kuma and something happening there just a little mild speculation for me on that because uh, um, that's usually what happens in one piece right yeah i that's an interesting thought um i think at this point it's clear like, we don't even need it spelled out anymore i think it's clear that whatever vegapunk whatever vegapunk's process for the pacifistas were it began with the iron giant i think at this point whether he took parts directly from it or copied something something from that old machine is in this man <laughs> Yeah, because like, didn't we say last time that like literally when the Iron Giant thing happens and Egghead, that's when he like sparks and is like, I got to go. Yeah, it's it's almost spot on. And it's right about the time that Shaka also tells the other satellites. And of course, the Straw Hats aren't reunited at this point yet. They're not together. But uh, he says, you know, it's time to prepare for battle. It's all happening, at least as far as we could tell at the same time. So, you know, that begs a bunch of questions in terms of what happened 200 years ago with the giant originally. But technically, since Kuma has beat up a few Marines, he's done more damage than the Iron <laughs> Giant did. Yeah. Um, he's already made more progress and he hasn't even made it up the wall. Either way, I do think we are about to see the end of at least the original body of Bartholomew Kuma, provided that actually is. But we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um and so we do have I, one last thing. I know we, we had like a little bit of a scene where Vegapunk is essentially begging Kuma to let him like look into the, his memories because it'll help him with like science and everything. And I was wondering like why he wants to do that. And part of me wonders if Vegapunk's interest in Kuma's power to turn things like pain and memory tangible is related to his dream of uniting the world with a type of mental internet. Because uh, he even mentions that, um, like he says, like it, it's like sending the peripheral nervous system signals via radio. And that seems very similar, I think, to like what he was saying earlier in the chapter about that's how he wants to like bring world peace. It's like everybody's able to communicate. Right. So I, I wonder if there's something going on there that explains like why he's so obsessed with Kuma in this way. That's, that's I think that's a good catch because, um, you know, this is a flashback, but uh, the antenna for the lab of phase is already on Vegapunk in the flashback. 
So uh, this is not a relatively new creation of his, we could say for sure. Right. Um, and it makes you wonder if like the the satellites are like related to his research and equipment. Like he was able to create them and do all that because of like the neurons and everything. He was able to create the sat- the satellites. Yeah. It, seem- um, it seems that way. You know, it, it, it very least the lab of phases here. We don't see any satellites. So it's entirely possible that that's the case. Um, And, you know, I think the guy very clearly values one thing over anything else, and that's the pursuit of knowledge itself. He wants answers, Mm -hmm. and he is willing to do just about anything to get them. Um, Like, he strikes me as a character who the the very notion of being able to prove uh, a theory about the weight of the soul or being able to physically quantify what a memory is. I think he's the kind of person that regardless of his morals, regardless of his alignment, that is a temptation too powerful. Um, and this is, this is just kind of how I feel about him personally right now. Uh, it's very weird that we're seeing the things that we're seeing of Mads and seeing Vegapunk involved in them at the same time. It's one of those things where he doesn't seem to be a joiner. He doesn't seem to be someone who's willing to actually get his hands dirty. But here he is, and he and he has taken stance, moral stance before with Caesar and everything like that. But it's it's very clear that he's capable of compartmentalizing a bit. He's still able to sign off Mads as the laboratory of peace, mm-hmm. even though it's very clearly not the case, up until I'm assuming it no longer can be something he can avoid. Um, I, I think he's just desperately curious constantly curious um almost to a fault yeah i agree with you there (laughs) for sure so we go to the the labo phase again and now we're back with the the main straw hats uh, or at least we don't see all of them like we don't get any luffy in this chapter uh, but we do see uh, usopp sanji frankie and nami and they're in the control room it looks like and shaka says that uh part of the reason that cp0 was able to get in was because they oh it seems we had a systems malfunction so we still don't know who the traitor is or who must have lowered it um obviously i think it's still anybody's guess uh, based on i think we had plenty of speculation last time about what might be going on there but uh, the main thing that gets brought up here is that you know zoro and brooke are now going up against uh, cp0 and it's two against three and uh, but it's even worse because now the seraphim have apparently also gotten into uh, past the barrier and even though they were not ordered to and so shaka explains that the seraphim are equipped with just enough personality to make decisions for themselves based on like what's going on in battle so it, it, it's kind of alluding to something that the manga has t- and i guess the anime have talked about uh, before which is like that there's like a battle intelligence to certain characters that's one of the things that makes luffy so uh, dangerous is because he may seem like a doofus but he's extremely intell- like intelligent when it comes to combat he understands understands how to win a fight in a very like primal way and so that made me think of that when he's talking about how the seraphim seem to have an, that instinct if that makes sense ultra instinct if you want to get dragon ball about it um <laughs> just just to like like a tactical mind yeah it's like and it's a different kind of tactic because it's not even it's not shikamaru type strategy right it's more so of like understanding when to punch and when to dodge and like it's stuff like that which is very yeah it's it's a bit more that's very luffy you know when you watch him fight he always seems he doesn't tend to make mistakes in terms of like when to fight and when to run he seems to be pretty Um, good about that yeah unless he's testing something right he wants to see what the limits of something are or try to understand something but he doesn't need like a two-page explainer on everybody's powers um frankly he couldn't care less he he can grasp that right away is kind of what you're saying right 
Yeah. And um, so I, I know I brought this up and I was kind of confused. I think I talked to you about it where I didn't understand why the Seraphim were considered dangerous because I was like, well, Vegapunk's supposed to be able to order them. So I thought it was weird that they were so like concerned because it seemed like they should just leave and then take control of the Seraphim. Like I didn't understand like why didn't they, they didn't do that in the first place. And sure enough, like we get confirmation again, like more confirmation because it was already stated that the Seraphim will, you know, follow the orders of any of the satellites over um over cp0 right and so i the, the whole logistics of this don't make sense to me like I, I don't really get like why like i get why cp0 would leave the seraphim behind but why does luchi think that he sussy and kaku can on their own on their own not even with like underlings and stuff and no seraphim how do they take on the straw hat pirates plus all the satellites it makes no sense like I mean, he literally just lost to luffy he doesn't think he lost to Luffy. That's, that, I mean, to, to answer your question, why does a character do a dumb thing? Because they're being dumb. It's but that's a, the thing. Luchi doesn't seem dumb. Is it his bloodthirstiness? He's, he's, he's in his head. He's in his own head now. Um, it just seems so... Normally, he is, he is cool. He is cool as ice. He has mm-hmm. no problems following orders. He has no problems executing. But... Luffy has, and Luffy has this effect on everyone. We just never got to really see it with Luchi because of the way Enos Lobby played out. Yeah. But Luffy has the ability to change minds. And that's not just of his crew or of the people around him. It's of his enemies. Yeah, he, he has that their impact. Will. Yeah, and he changes things about them. We, we saw it in Impel Down when we got a grand tour of all these people who, we, who have every reason in the world to not want anything to do with him or to kill him end up siding with him um, in this very personal, uh, you know, even for their own reasons, it's still yeah, kind of put a, a fire weird decision. Crocodile. Yeah, put a know? fire under crocodile for sure. And uh, even, and with Lucci, Lucci's, I think he's being motivated simply by that. I refuse to acknowledge Straw Hat as an emperor because if Lucci actually does that. If he, if he says the monkey D Luffy is an emperor of the sea, I am no longer allowed to touch him. That's an acknowledgement that Luffy is stronger than him, that he is not only the one who got away, he will always get away. It's there more of that irrationality, right? It's irrationality. And, because he it's is, like he's he lost to feelings. Luffy. He's 0 for 2. With he's 0 I mean, for I guess, 2. Sorry, he's 1 for 3. He beat Luffy the first time they fought. <laughs> True. Um, and sure, and, he was able to basically like bring Luffy down multiple times in their fight, but overall lost. Yeah, in a, in a, and, and let's be clear, Luffy's not was not trying very long uh if luffy wanted to actually have that fight go the you know go the whole 10 rounds he would absolutely do it he just has other things he needs to do and he's at least grown enough to know that hey this is no longer things i can get i can waste my time with we got more that battle intelligence right exactly yeah and and maturity he he has he has grown over time Mm -hmm. but But, when uh, it comes down to it when the time does come and it looks like it's gonna come they're gonna go the full 10 rounds and I mean, it's it, we know it's going to come out Luffy. The, the, that's already been baseline set. So for for Lucci, this is denial. He is firmly in his denial phase right now, where the entire world is upside down, and he is willing to to disregard the orders that they have been provided. Which again, don't come from the Navy; they come from the old geriatrics. You know, this is not people you want to mess with, and he knows that. He just doesn't care 
Right now, he doesn't care. He needs to he needs to get over Luffy because if he doesn't get over Luffy, it means Luffy was right the entire time. We still have a missing puzzle piece, right? I think we talked about this where for a while, Luchi and Kaku in particular were on the run. And yeah. they, you know, the government was like trying to kill them because what happened, like they took the blame for Robin uh, escaping Eni's lobby with the straw hats. And we still don't know what happened, how they sort of like realigned with the government and joined CP0. We don't know why, how, uh, why or how that happened. And, and there's a moment during sense that. Why he would be a little bit like, I don't trust that or, you know. Like, yeah. I don't care because, I, yeah, I think yeah. this is I think this is them trying uh, Oda trying to communicate that that even Lucci has been moved a little bit in a different direction. I could there maybe is see a, see I could maybe see Lucci having some kind of arrangement with Eam, for example, where it's outside of the, the Gorse and like Eam having like using Lucci as his own sort of like hammer and nail for something and that's like maybe why he doesn't care because he has like a a grander motivation i just get this sense that like there's that more going on with him that he's puzzling out that, um, that would be interesting since they were willing to completely en- eliminate an island at the chance of preventing another person knowing the existence of eam right so so the, the very idea that eam might actually have other cohorts is that's that's that I want to be believe twist. it because yeah, it just it just seems a that little a bit twist. too. It seems too much of a hierarchy that only the Gorosei are even aware of him, right? And it would make sense to me that like if the Gorosei have this issue with Luchi, who could override that? And even to me is the only one. But yeah, more more wild speculation from your old pal John. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I think it's interesting because it's it's um it's a good look into where Luchi is, and we're gonna get a really an actual um, expression of honest to goodness emotion from him. Yeah. Um, later on here, just a couple of pages away. Yeah. And it, like I said, everything is topsy turvy for him right now. Everything yeah. is, he's questioning things. And I always think of Lucci. The thing that always is fascinating to me about Lucci, especially like in the time skip, you know, that we know, we know where his place is, you know, they're during that cover story where they're on the run. There is a scene where Lucci has made his peace with just a normal life. Mm. They've found a place to hide out. They've found, you know, labor, basically. They, they found the life they pretended to have in Water 7, basically. And yeah. he seems to be okay with that. And I've always wondered if that was honest or if it was just him putting on the face until he could figure out how to get back in the, in the government's good graces. Right. And it could always be either way. And I and I really wonder if he has if he really is just at the core of his person, just still so self-serving about the, hey, you know, I just want to kill some people, man. At the <laughs> end of the day, I just want to take these claws and I just want to put them in a dude. And I'm good yeah. with that. As long as you let me do that, I'll do whatever you want. And then there's Luffy, the one person he never really got to finish that with. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, either either he has been changed by Luffy or will be changed by Luffy, not necessarily for the better. Um and I could absolutely see him becoming kind of a recurring, uh, an actual recurring character. He's shown up a bunch, but see, like, you know what I would love? And then this is going to get me in trouble again, uh, as usual. Um, this is ridiculous, but I want him to be undercover again and like reversing his, like being undercover for CP nine, this time being undercover for some other third party and, you know, either the revolutionaries or 
some pirate crew or somebody because i think that that would just be a wonderful twist like it would just be so funny if we found out that like the person who found him on that farm was not you know the gorosei but instead was you know like dragon or some nonsense and basically convincing him to go on this crazy oh, like undercover mission and uh, yeah to undermine the gorosei which is why he wouldn't care i'm just trying to ex- figure out his motivation well, and I, I just want to explore everything sure, of it. i mean we sure know that there's at least one double agent among them <laughs> Right, right. Um, um, which, well, before we get to that, so... Yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you about the traitor real quick, because oh, uh, sure. speaking of things that don't necessarily make sense, um, you know, the Seraphim are up on the lava phase, and you're right, the Vegapunks take control. They basically execute that plan that uh, Edison and Lilith depart along with Sanji to go basically do exactly that. Yeah. Um, and... And it looks like Frankie the, is going to. Yeah, yeah, Frankie's going to. Um, I'm just looking at the page because I want to make sure I'm understanding. So what I don't get about this is Shaka. Mm-hmm. Because Shaka is not the person who comes to the realization that they can just take Seraphim back, which is weird to me. Yeah, well, he says before that, like, oh, yeah, CB0 wouldn't have wanted them here. So and then he says, right, I think he, he says, says the like, odds oh. are worse, not better. The odds are worse when he points out the Seraphim. That's right. Yeah, which doesn't seem very logical for the logic guy. Or he's parsing it. Like, he's like he's either taking his time more than the others are. Well, yeah, because, I mean, there is, in the short term, like, if they're not down there, then the Seraphim can, like, make short work of Zoro and Brooke. So, I mean, that's true. Um, so, like, he's... But he does seem a little bit slow in the uptake. Like, he isn't, a, he isn't as impulsive. And that might just be his... Uh, I think you even said that last time that like that's kind of his deal is like one of the reasons he might not be the traitor is he's just he doesn't seem impulsive enough or something like that to like make a decision that quickly and to be that decisive. And uh, I could see that uh, yeah. in this case, you know, of him just being like, all right, yeah, do that because it makes sense, which and, and I, and I wonder more interesting to me. Yeah. And, and, and then and then the seraphim start firing on the lab. Um, and, you know, we're, yeah. we're going to talk about what's happening interspersed with that here in a second, I'm sure. But um He's like, oh, no, they're going to destroy the lab. I really am curious to see how this gets voiced in the anime. Because I really I'm really starting to visualize um, monotone from him. Hmm. Not a lot of energy, but rather a, oh, no, they're going to destroy the lab. Like almost just almost on the edge of like sarcasm. You just don't trust him. You just it's don't. something about the, his demeanor that is so weird now. And like, it was weird for everybody else. Like last time, like, and like for me now it's really starting to seem odd mm-hmm. because like, if anybody was going to nail, Oh, the Seraphim are up here. We're good. Don't worry about it. Just go grab them real quick. Like even Edison and Lilith leave before he issues the order. It's so he's odd. He's very odd compared to the energy of everyone else in the room. Yeah. And let's maybe pin, that's all it is. Let's put a pin in that because I think you might be onto something there. Uh, mentioned before that the comedy is uh, working a little bit better in this chapter than it has. Like I don't remember finding it as funny uh, last time because uh, we have here like Sanji is just sort of oh so sad. That's the that's yeah. the best joke in the entire <laughs> the Mas chapter. Mosshead dies in the line of duty just before we reach the One Piece, and obviously there's like the funny of like Nami's like no you're going to and then, but uh, and I do think it's funny that and then Sanji calls himself a, a Sanji fim because he takes Nami's orders. Uh, but the whole thing with that is interesting because, and, and Teking brought this up, he did a video uh, about the chapter uh, on YouTube, and he mentioned that uh, we're probably going to get more references like this to the One Piece because it, the end is in sight for Oda. 
And I think that he does probably want to keep referencing it. So we already got the big reference to it with uh, Shanks uh, telling uh, his crew that like, all right, let's go for the One Piece, baby. And then before that, of course, like a while before that, we had Kaido and Big Mom being like, we're going to get the One Piece. And so there there seems to be some table setting that like we this, this manga is still theoretically allegedly about the one piece so just it's letting like you know. uh it, it's like especially with like the shanks one in particular it's like right whitebeard's death where like in that moment even though it wasn't directly relevant to events happening what whitebeard decides to spend his final moments doing is telling everyone the audience included no there is a one piece there is a physical one piece mm-hmm. it is out there someone will find it and and, and that was like because you know uh marineford and, and all of that is such a big pivotal turning point for one piece as a series and you could say the same about round round where we are right now we're like yeah no it's we're realigning our we're realigning our focus hey a reminder we are moving somewhere one of these days we need to do our like our favorite theories for what the one piece is oh man because that would be a that would be a fun one there's and so many good does. ones. There's there's a lot of good ones. There's a lot of sarcastic ones too. It's really easy to get in your head that like it's going to be something anticlimactic because that almost feels like the perfect like joke. But yeah. at, at, with given how much it hovers over everything in this series, um, you know every little layer that we get, you know the things that we learn even about the weight of the soul, it makes it all that more tantalizing that whatever like all of these secrets of the world that we learn even just in this chapter, whether they're accurate or not, that you know, in terms of theories or anything like that, the greatest mystery of all, we still have only gotten like two honest to goodness, real viable clues on. Right. And that's nuts. <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> to think about. That we know of. I mean, there might be other clues and we just don't know right. that they're right. clues, right? Just, just, yeah, we, you know, I'm just thinking of like the, you know, the most tangible stuff. Like number one, yeah, yeah. we know that it's real. It's not the friends we made along the way, et cetera, et cetera. We know that it's real and we know where it is. And we and know the that, significance of where that, you know, what And we it's know called. that um, Gold Roger, Goldie Roger um, finds it funny that found it funny yeah yeah well found it funny but then also found it like to be misinterpreted what he said about like um the the island stuff like that up until his death oh you mean the island name or well i think he said that about the island name but then also like the treasure and like didn't he have some kind of like reference to like people not getting it and then that informing like why he said what he said right before he died well he uh he definitely what he said before he died was definitely calculated Yes, but, exactly. Um, I know that I think what I remember him saying from that, sec- at least from the actual flashback, was was more of him being too early for it, whatever yes. it is, and and the world not being ready. Um, and and then he ties that to Joy Boy by legitimately just saying, "Oh, I wish I lived in your time." Yes. So like that's you know those are the two main clues, right? Like Laugh Tale, what that means, why it has that name. And then, and of course, you know, people that speculating that Wano has to be the borders have to be open for this. Right. And, Which means the yeah. weapons have to be. And, and then immediately, like I said, the one piece hovers over all of this because the dominoes immediately start to fall. Right. The second you start talking, you can't just talk about the one piece in a vacuum. It is the ironically, I don't even think people need to be reminded of it. I get like like white Tiking would say that and everything. like that. I don't think we need to be reminded. It's the core of everything <laughs> at the end of the day. Like, that's why Luffy doesn't want any spoilers, because it would less, ruin it. 
I don't think it's less like we need to be reminded. I think it's more of like Oda sending a signal to us and and just being like, I get it. Look, I know you're waiting for this. And it's just him giving some kind of assurance, you know, that that's how I interpret it. I think that's what Tekken was getting at. Yeah. And and that's fair. Um, You know, obviously I don't think we're going to go from Egghead to the end of the series. Um, I think (laughs) it's going to be a while. Sure. Come around. Yeah. They've come around to calming down a little bit because they hear final saga and they're like, Oh no. You know, we're probably a year out from the end of one. We're probably not a year out from the end of one. Piece. A year? There's no, no. no. Way. There's no it's, way. It's wild to think that we're five years. I, I think we're ten. Five, um, five years is my generous guess, because um, Oda time is, of course, a complicated math equation. Um, that is, you know, that basically I think this, it's just a is, dilution of time versus light. This is ending <laughs> so, in the 2030s. That's my foot in the, in the sand for this. <laughs> That, yeah, that's what we should talk about. It's like guessing when One Piece will actually end. Um, <laughs> Twenty thirty two is my if, guess. I mean, if if Shueisha has its way, never. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Uh, um, okay, so you want to talk tangent. about Kaku? You want to yeah, talk about so Kaku? Real that's quick? the next part of this. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Brook and, and Zoro are kind of like facing down Kaku in his awakened form, and I've been waiting to talk about this. So, so uh, Zoro starts fighting him, and he appears to be awakened because he has the same dark flames that uh, obviously uh, Luchi had before. Uh, Luchi had when he awakened his Zoan, and this this has brought up a whole thing for me with like the Gear Fourth. But then also like gear fifth and the difference between it. And I I have been struggling a lot with the whole system behind awakenings. There's this whole thing where Zoro even says, like, oh, I got I just got done fighting plenty of wriggling things back in Wano. And at first I'm like, yeah, th- what he means is like the fact that, you know, Kaido like turned to the dragon, was like kind of spiraling, and then he fought King, who did sort of similar stuff. And on the other hand, it makes me wonder if he's speaking about like awakenings here too. Or like in terms of like awakened Zoans and like how annoying they are. And I know you have some thoughts on this. We had a bit of a contentious discussion about what it like uh, before we talked about uh, on this right now, this podcast. Yeah. I just I I just want to understand why it seems like king and queen were beaten so easily in the con- in the grand scheme of things. Because it doesn't seem like they were awakened. It doesn't seem like, and I know I said, like, it's Kaido, he had to have been awakened, right? But I'm starting to wonder, maybe he wasn't. Like, maybe he for real was not an awakened mythical Zoan, right? Or if he was, it's because he awakened <sighs> a fish fruit this into is, a dragon kind of thing. And I know this is causing all kinds of stress. This is a weird, this is a weird thing. Because at this point, you know, two times is a coincidence, three times is a pattern. So, like, at this point, apropos of anything else, it does seem like this is the visual syndicate, like, like the visual indicator that Oda is going to use going forward. I do think it's interesting that the clouds around Luchi and Kaku are inked in and Luffy's are white. Yes. And we know canonically that they are white, um, just like, you, you know, the, the steam. Um, and, and, you know, I would have chalked it up to even that steam originally like with Gear 4th and everything, but now I'm questioning if Gear 4th itself was just Luffy on the precipice of awakening the whole time, which right. seems which seems reasonable since he develops that after the loss of Ace, after that big trauma. That makes sense. That we've just, And he's always had Gear 4th. That's the thing that's worth remembering is, is Gear 4th was something he figured out during the time skip. It just didn't need to use it until, you know, we got to Doflamingo. So, like, you, it's, it's such a weird thing because we could just chalk it all up to like, oh, he thought of the smoke with Gear Fourth, 
because it makes him look like Enma, and that's clearly where that inspiration comes from. And then he extended it out like this has just been a gradual evolution of Oda's design choices. Um, and now that that's all been solidified, he's going to apply it to the others. But then you have Kaido, <laughs> and that makes all of this so weird because the f- because the clouds weren't just there. With, whereas with the others, it's kind of an aesthetic thing. With Kaido, it is literally a part of how his powers work. So it's very, very, very strange and difficult to parse. Mm-hmm. Um you would think he would be awakened um, just because Doflamingo was, and you know, people love power scaling. If Doflamingo was awakened and Luffy beat him, then the next tier up would be a more powerful devil fruit that is also awakened. But I have my own like kind of pet theory for this that I, I floated to you and here it is. And then I, I don't know if this, and I saw there were other people are saying this too. So it's not just me alone in the wilderness. So my sense is that it is much, much harder and more technical and complicated to awaken an ancient Zoan or a mythical type Zoan. And it's much easier, or perhaps there is an artificial way to awaken a normal Zoan fruit. Because we know the prison guards at Impel Down also awaken their devil fruits. We know that now, uh, I think the only two like really confirmed awakened Zoans on top of that would be uh, like normal zones would be Lucci and Kaku. And the thing that ties all these people together is the fact that they work for the Marines. So it makes me wonder if there's like a way to uh, like artificially awaken these types of fruits that is not as complicated. If, Whereas, I, if, if I might add to your theory a little bit, rumble ball, which we don't know if that's really an awakening or if it's like right. kind of like a gear fourth type of thing where it's like the precipice, right? Right. But awakening is artificial if to you, your yeah, point. Yeah. If, yeah, if you want, if you wanted to open that up, if Chopper eventually reaches a point where he can do Monster Point without the the need of Rumble Ball at all, um, you know, putting aside control of it or anything like that, if he's able to just have full transformation access at all times without any medical health assistance, that would probably end up being classified as an awakening. But, um, you know, I don't think Sengoku was awakened either, and he's a mythical. You know, that's right. that's that's worth pointing out. He was one of the most powerful Marines. Um, the fact that Luchi's and Kaku's look so similar, it's very possible that Luchi awakened it and then just taught Kaku exactly what he did, and he replicated it. Mm-hmm. Um, it could even just be that, just the, the very structure of the Marines makes it easier to grow strength in that way, whereas uh, with pirates, it's you know very loosey-goosey, you, you make your own way kind of thing. Um, yeah. But the idea that it could be artificially stimulated, I think the existence of Chopper kind of helps you in that in, in making that argument uh, right because to sh- me it would make sense and like i think that how if we only have one real instance of an awakened mythical which would be luffy because i really just don't buy that kaido was awakened based on what we know i think that it's it's also a pathway for him to come back to the story because i think the way that luffy awakened it was he had to die essentially like his heart had to that's, stop yeah that's what it looks like is he had to push himself to literally the limit and the ultimate limit is of course being dead on the ground being dead sense. but then having to be reborn or reincarnated as the fruit that he ate mm. and i think there is something about that inherited will something about the joy boy thing that's what kaido wanted i think he wanted to die i think he wanted to find a powerful oh. opponent to kill him I see in order to reincarnate as joy boy and he that's why he was crying you know that like you couldn't be joy boy either 
um, because I think that he needed to fight somebody powerful enough to kill him, essentially, which makes me wonder if he can awaken his fruit now, now that he's like, you know, hanging out with Big Mom and Lava, you know, uh, being defeated, he could come back into the story as an awakened mythical fruit user. And my thing is that yeah. he probably would be changed by this. And I really, really want him to come back into the story and not as an antagonist to the Straw Hats and not as a, an ally, but as somebody who's going to use his awakened fruit to like cause all kinds of problems and basically wreak havoc that's what i want you know and and i i also think that kaido will return to the story in some way if only because we didn't get much of his backstory and that was a disappointing thing for some people yeah shortcut a bit it was shortcut a bit i don't necessarily mind that if we never got him again i don't necessarily mind that we spent a lot of time getting to know him through other characters and i think that's fine Lucci's backstory was also very truncated and yeah. look at what we're getting with him now. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think just because of where Kaido situates in terms of reveals finger quotes, uh, especially with the end of this chapter in particular, I think we will see at least a flashback Kaido again. Um, Same. and I, and I think, and I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm just going to support you in this theory. Um, because at the end of the day, Momonosuke was able to just immediately age himself up and do the exact same thing Kaido did, right? So if Kaido was awakened, then Momonosuke was awakened, and we know for a fact that can't be the case. That just right. simply cannot be the case. I think what made him powerful and one of the most powerful beings uh, is the same thing that made Shanks so powerful, and it's hockey, right? And it almost makes you think that like Luffy really must be overpowered, because if Luffy not only is like at the highest advanced forms of hockey and has an awakened mythical like he's basically right. the he has a like, god he's supposed to be a god right sure, like that's sure. what they're pointing to which uh, would but yeah, ex- yeah, yeah. Right. which would explain why he just took down Luchi no problem who's supposed yeah. to be pretty dangerous hockey, but anyway hockey beats devil fruit we do know that and, and and i mean you know you just you think about how much power kaido has between his devil fruit and his hockey um, yeah. he was kind of a god in his own right um you know as, as far as we you know we've never really dealt with gods whether or not they exist in one piece we just have a lot of people who claim to be them yeah so so it it makes total sense that that's the level that luffy needed to go to but it does absolutely leave the door open and you know i personally like that oda doesn't like killing characters i know people have takes on that that like it doesn't really bring up the stakes or anything but i think a a kaido that could come back is way more interesting than a kaido who dies exactly yeah so I'm 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 on your court on this. I want I want you to be right. I wanna I wanna find out what Kaido's deal is. So as soon as Zoro Zoro manages to land a pretty good blow on Kaku, it looks like. So it's looking like Kaku can't take him down. And I think that at, that's why at that point Luchi is like, all right, the Seraphim need to destroy the lab because it might take longer than expected to finish off Zoro. Um and so the Seraphim are going to destroy the lab before Vegapunk comes out in order to prevent them from just losing this entire thing, right? Because if the Seraphim get turned, that's it. Game over. Easy. Um, so uh, they attack the lab. It doesn't look like the lab has been destroyed. We see like a lot of flames. We see a lot of explosions. We see it's a big lab, right? Yeah. But when we see t- the top part of the lab, like it looks like it gets like sliced off by something, um, probably by Mihawk. Yeah. Um, uh, S-Hawk, I S-Hawk, think is what, yeah. yeah. 
Um, and then, yeah, we only see like a little bit of like what happens to the people inside. Like we see Usopp kind of like flying out. Uh, Shaka lo doesn't look very shook. <laughs> He's just kind of like hanging. And uh, Nami is hanging on to Usopp, but we don't see anything else. Um, so we don't know how much of the lab has been affected so far. Um, but Kaku says it's like a light show. Uh, so it looks like Kaku's still okay. Like he didn't get like gravely injured until... Until <laughs> Stussy uh, has turned into basically like a succubus, it looks like. Um, she's like a vampire, vi vampire like succubus. She chomps on Kaku out of nowhere, and Kaku is like freaking out. Uh, Hattori notices and starts going, kuh, 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 kuh. and then Kaku is down. Like it's a one hit KO from Stussy, which is significant because he's an awakened zone. Mm -hmm. And then that's when we get the moment where Lucci is like, what are you doing? And we get a look on his face that we've rarely seen, if ever. Um, and, uh, it's my favorite Water 7 callback because it's a callback to their betrayal of Iceberg. Yes, exactly. He gets Iceberg. <laughs> um, and then Stussy, Stussy tells him that he, oh, he put he put uh, Kaku to sleep. And then now she's saying she's going to do the same to Lucci. And then we get uh, no, no sort of cliff. Well, we get a cliffhanger, but they don't leave it too much in the air. They, Oda is like, no, I'm going to set straight like exactly what this is. Stussy confirmed clone of Miss Buckingham Stussy rocks pirates. Mad's clone experiment, successful subject number one, Stussy. So she is a, a the successful clone reference in the beginning. She This is a clone of Miss Buckingham, member of the Rocks Pirates. And uh, I think as a lot of people are speculating, probably that same pirate who was Miss Buckin, who's the mother of Weevil, who has always said that Weevil was Whitebeard's son, and that they had a relationship. They were on the same ship, which would make her the original uh, Miss Buckingham on the Rocks Pirates crew. Uh, which uh, Marco also confirmed, by the way, um, back uh, right before he departed Wano. He he confirmed that uh, Miss Buckingham, Buckingham would, would have was... been would have been on the same ship as him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that part. Yeah. I thought you were saying. Um, okay. Okay. I thought yeah. you were saying like uh, confirmed that 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 Weevil was Whitebeard's son. I was like, wait, wait, yeah. when did that happen? Oh, that. this almost certainly does, which is horrifyingly funny to me. But I have two things, two notes here. Well, number hey, one, Weevil could be a clone. <laughs> well, yeah. Right. So, so <laughs> Who number is one, not a clone. <laughs> number clone, one, uh, begun the Clone War theory wars have. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so number one, uh, credit to the Viz translation, who which took flack for um, giving Buckin the wrong name for a very long time um, among some fans. Uh, you know, they they always took that as a mistranslation, and it looks like up uh, this is a this is a Viz W for for them. Yeah, uh, that's a spot on. Tr they were they should have done it incorrectly. Is what they should have yeah. done. and now we immediately to... clicked all that. Now you get um, to gloat. Now it's right? time to gloat because uh, in our 1071 episode, I said, and I quote, all eyes on Stussy. That's everything is around her as far as I'm concerned. And spot on. Well done. Well done. Spot on. There is. Oh, uh, and I Stussy mean, Stussy is sussy. Stussy is sussy. And you know what? I got to move her up the best girl ranks, too, because, you know, like. I immediately screenshot this and sent it to my spouse. Like, not the whole chapter, just the, just the, the panel. I'm like, vampire girl, vampire girl, vampire girl. Vampire <laughs> <Just> weekend. Like, <laughs> heads, heads up. Uh, just uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, excellent. What's Great. the make of this? I'm all man. for it. I I don't. I hope she sticks around for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah. Personally, 
she's kind of single-handedly like really just reset the table here like so, when the world happens next yeah so this i mean we kind of knew clones were on the table but i don't think we really had addressed the idea that like a full-on person you know like like it's one thing for judge to like churn out clone soldiers right do clone troopers or whatever but we're talking about potentially anybody who vegapunk has had access to blood of could clone we've been talking about borrowing powers and replicating devil fruits and it growing you know somewhat genetic matches but still needing a solution to like pass on the bloodline traits, you know, of their abilities and skills and whatnot. And that's what the green blood's for. But now we have full on one-to-one clones running around. You're right. Not this, Seraphim, not like this kind of hybrid no experimental modifications. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Just, well, unless, well, the, unless the succubus power is a mod- modification, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause we've never seen Bucking um, do anything like that. Makes me wonder screen, if our one V one, it makes me wonder if we're going to get a one V one with Stussy and Robin at some point, if they're going to be it's, at odds. It's almost begging for it, right? Yeah. Like just to have them near each other. Like, oh, I like your wings. Oh, you me too. Um, <laughs> Stussy has always been terrifying. I mean, people forget yeah. like what she did at Whole Cake Island. Um, really, just the she has just been like a very unpredictable character, and the fact that she was like all of a sudden on CB zero without any explanation. I mean. There, there's a reason people should have been suspicious. Uh, she was part of, so she was introduced as a member of the underworld, the mm-hmm. leader of like the pleasure district, right? Yes. Um, and now we see that like she has some other agenda. What do you think that is though? Because I think that this is not confirming, but certainly like suggesting that she could be the one that Vegapunk called um, in order to basically help them that's um, where that's where i'm at too actually um it would because make sense because that's like oh peg her, yeah i would peg her at this point is if the, if number one is correct and she is the one that vegapunk called in then number two she's also the quote-unquote traitor who brought down the lava face because she would a know how to do that i would assume if she's an ally and b she knew the seraphim would follow and That's, she would, and she would have bit or chomped on Luchi or Kaku, and Kaku yeah. as soon as the Seraphim started attacking the lab in order to stop them from doing it further damage. Right. It would make right. it would if, make a lot of sense. It would, it would, and and it just would mean that we've just been re- misreading the situation, which is you know at this point I well, think quintessentially Stussy. Uh, well, the problem, I don't not think she being able to follow. I don't think she lowered the defenses though. How would she have done that? From I mean, that's is? that's the question, right? That doesn't is, make any is sense. How? Um, but if the per- if one of the Vegapunks knows that she's there, like I could they see could have them. Done it. Doing Shaka it. could have done it, knowing the Seraphim would follow. Except he acts like that's not a thing he planned for, which again makes mm-hmm. him weird. At the very least, though, I she is either there's either a third interested party here. She is a clone of a rocks pirate, so we have to bring up Blackbeard. Um, but if if she's not like an, acting as a third party, oh, no. she has to be. Oh no. Did I just put that in your head? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Is, she, is Stussy is for 10th the, Titanic captain? Is she the 10th Titanic captain? Oh, you no. You didn't even think about it, did you? No. Oh, no. But that would make so much sense. That would explain so much. Because I've given up on uh, Kuzan? Kuzan being a 10th Titanic. I don't think that's happening. But her? That would fit. That would absolutely I- fit. I would even go so far as to say it's uh, it's a scenario where she's been feeding Blackbeard information 
Yes. Before and he became a, a warlord, much less an emperor. Specifically with like the devil fruit stuff. Yeah. And the clone stuff and everything that all the sussy stuff around Blackbeard and what he's been able to do. And he's not far away. Uh, he's about to go toe to toe with Garp. It looks like look, he probably beat law. Uh, we don't know what's going Inter- on there. Interesting. Interesting. Isn't it that Blackbeard is about to encounter the one man who we know for a fact knows the true fate of the rocks pirates and what happened that day yeah interesting isn't it and that we'd get this kind of a link to the rocks pirates because i was telling you that i was so confused not confused but i was trying to like bring some kind of connection between the rocks pirates and vegapunk because i was just really struggling with that because we do have like caesar has a connection to kaido he was like working for kaido queen obviously worked for kaido but it just didn't seem like kaido and vegapunk had any other sort of thing you know judge doesn't really have anything specific you know it looks like with the the kaido or anybody else in the rocks crew so stussy though could be that missing link that we've been kind of looking for her and miss buckingham obviously the original just just to click in like how important mads turns out to be in the grander story of at least post time skip one piece like 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 mads itself is a relatively I'm going to, you know, loosely here, newer concept for One Piece. Um, You know, we've only been dealing with it specifically named for a while, comparatively. But, you know, you go back as far as Punk Hazard, the relationship established between Vegapunk and Caesar there, that was the the seeds being sown for what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, This may, you know, this is technically one of the biggest payoffs we've ever had. And I like the idea that Oda would be setting up the Blackbeard Pirates as a huge threat, by putting them in three different key locations, you know, which for me would mean that they could be, um, there could be somebody like Kuzan and, uh, at Elbath, right? Because if they have somebody here at Egghead and they have somebody at Full Lead, or like most of their crew, and they have stuff going on at Elbath, it would really paint the threat of the Blackbeard Pirates in a necessary way <laughs> that they need sure. to be. Um, but at the same time, I do still think that there's a lot to be said about her being allied with Vegapunk and being called mm-hmm. upon in this way because there's the the dialogue that Vegapunk has or one of the Vegapunks I think it was Edison who's just like oh no if if, if this person gets outed then they're going to be on the run and all that so that would make sense for Stussy like she would be blowing her cover I I think it's pretty it, it's a pretty yeah if if convincing. I'm leaning in any direction yeah if I'm leaning in any direction it's definitely that one um yeah. that seems the most likely without some sort of like uh, we're about to interrupt everything happening and doing a complicated flashback, and I don't see that happening because that arc, this arc just doesn't seem interested in doing that unless we're doing the Bonnie stuff next week, which yes. is possible. And um, and should be said that if she is a clone, that means that Vegapunk was probably involved, right? Like, as we see in the beginning, in cloning her, mm-hmm. that would make sense why she would be sympathetic to Vegapunk, right? So possibly, yeah, it's interesting. And it was interesting that she was yeah. part of like the, the group to go kill him, you know, and so she would have had this like yeah, in her head the would... whole time. It makes you wonder, you know, if the Straw Hat hadn't shown up at all. <laughs> yeah, what would have happened here? Then, yeah. yeah, what would have happened? The Vegapunk probably if one of the other. I mean, it was all a flip of a hat. What happens if Law had come to Egghead? <laughs> right. One, 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 two, could you imagine? He probably just would have like turned around and been like, you know what? Nah, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want to. Oh deal man, but he probably would have. He probably wouldn't have gone because it's a government island. He probably would have been like, eh, "What's the point? Useless. Let's keep going." Yeah, yeah. He probably would have just stayed under the water. Actually, um, yeah. I, I guess we should draw our piece. attention, though. <laughs> I guess we should draw our attention, though, to the probably the biggest part of this reveal, which is, of course, that Stussy is number one 
and you don't number things if there's only one of them. Oh, of course. I mean, this has so, been fodder for so many people of like, now who else is a clone? Is Bonnie a clone of Kuma? Is Dragon a clone? A big one. I've, 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 I kind of said it as a joke in a Discord. And then I started seeing people actually saying it as well, uh, that Dragon is a clone of Zebek. Um, you know, which, I have seen people claim that he's a descendant of Zebek, and this just opens up so many doors. Yeah. Because um, yeah. his, cause his facial structure looks like the facial structure silhouette of, of rocks. But it's also clear that the, the reason that that is obscured is because there's something about his face that, they, that uh, Oda does not want us to know. Um, so I think that that might be a red herring or we're, we are missing some very important context. Exactly. Um, my, you want to hear my, this is my two absolutely insane ones. Here we go. Um, I've been waiting all week for this. The first one, the first one is, um, so we have a little bit, uh, again, I have Kuma truther syndrome. So there's a bit of a problem with Bartholomew Kuma and that's that he almost seems like he's two different people. We have Bonnie's description of him. Mm -hmm. um, we have the flashbacks of, of Bonnie's memories of him that make him look different. We have the testimonies of the revolutionaries that align more with Bonnie's take. But we also know that he is Bartholomew Tyrant Kuma. We know that he is considered um, uh, someone who was a, a, a monster or a, a terrible leader of his kingdom. His kingdom doesn't exist anymore. Um, we know he was a pirate. We know that he had an incredibly high bounty. Um before you know turning himself into the government basically and it has always been weird to have this particular like this very this this man with almost as if he was two men you could say whereas if maybe there was a tyrant kuma and a revolutionary kuma hmm and that's i have no basis of that other than that would be an explanation for how we got there and i expect to be proven wrong on that as early as next week yeah my yeah, other I was about to say i don't know yeah my don't other know crazy my other crazy theory and this is something that i formulate uh, i kind of formulated after checking some theories and everything is you know who bonnie really looks a lot like go for it she, she looks like uh a young charlotte linlin who we very recently saw in another character's flashback so we have images to compare it to what no and you know Sorry. she does have an appetite. You, I mean, you got to admit, she's got an appetite. Uh, you've gone down the rabbit hole. I've got. Oh, I, I told you these are the crazy ones. I <laughs> like these are the ones that like you open up this door. This is the kind of stuff people are going to come up with. Absolutely. <sighs> like, you think Big Mom is going to come back into the story though, in like some real way? I. I mean, this would be a way to do it without having to have her come back in the story. We know that the Big Mom pirates have to have to reappear whether that's under katakuri whether that's with uh lin lin returning whether that's just with pudding there are you know it has to come up it, it absolutely has to come up because pudding is in particular a very uh critical piece of blackbeard's plan mm -hmm. um and uh you know it, it's one of those things where it's like it, how much time does oda want to spend doing that is, is really the question um but hey if you uh if you need to resolve a character's you know history them being a clone of somebody whether that's a clone of lin lin or a clown a clone of the, the the dowager that she looked like when she you know snuck into the reverie um or or if it's something else entirely um there's some i think there's something about bonnie specifically 
that that Vegapunk knows. I'm almost to the point where the pain of of Kuma's past isn't even his own pain. Is I guess really where I want to go with it. Is it has I, to do with her? I do like it's something he's idea. hiding from her. Yeah, because I don't know. I jewelry, I do like jewelry, D Bonnie. <laughs> oh no, doing it again. <laughs> I feel like I'm in like a tailspin with this, and I, I just I feel like we're always like a chapter away from answers, but then I just oh, Oda's kind of putting it, it, it off. But I'm not even and being he throws another because, one. He throws yeah, another he just one. keeps introducing more. You know, and, and, and we are we are we are making progress. That's the other thing is that it, it really feels like we're close to a head here. Where like, you know, we're either gonna go into the traditional One Piece, everybody's gonna split up and do a fight kind of thing, or we're almost done. This is like how Zoe kind of you know they took took care of Jack, and then we're on our way. We got That's stuff what I'm to thinking. do. That's mm-hmm. really what it feels like to me. Um, so I I think we're. You know, I don't think we're going to spend all year in Egghead. That's for sure. I think we're closer to the end than than we are the middle. I agree completely with that because I just think that this is not a 1v1 kind of thing. It doesn't feel like the main arc here is for Luffy and his friends to overcome some great obstacle. I think it's like for them to navigate complicated world building, complicated world war stuff that they're not inherently interested in. And that's going to lead up to, we need that Zoe moment, you know, where they're, they have the Alliance and everything kind of clicks in a place of like, okay, here's what's going to be, here are the stakes for the next few arcs, right? Leading into like, we got, this is why we have to be Kaido. You know, it goes beyond the smile fruits. It goes beyond all of that. It's about, you know, saving Wano. Cool. That makes perfect sense to me. And that's what I want to see happen next uh, is like some kind of scene that's going to really crystallize. Like here's why we need to be involved in this specific conflict that is going to be related to the one piece and world peace, you know, uh, not to, not to like use that pun. I know people always use like the one piece world peace pun. That's a funny, thing, you know, annoying thing there. Um, do you remember it, Kuma's first appearance? It would have been, was it the did he show up at that meeting of the the warlords way way back or was it actually thriller bark that he showed up first and i want to say his introduction was thriller bark but i could be wrong it was not thriller bark and in fact i believe it was the same introduction as the gorosei the five elders well, it was that meeting, right? It was the meeting. Yes, you were that's right. That's what i thought. Okay. All right. So that's chapter 233. Um i'm looking at it right now. Um, and yeah, chapter so, 233. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is the chapter, uh, right after Luffy. Uh, it's a great chapter, by the way. Um, he, it's called the world's greatest power and it's right after he punches out Bellamy and he yeah. points up to the sky and like that iconic, you know, pointing up to the sky that we see, um, that gold Roger did as well. Yeah, what a uh, what a what an iconic period of time for One Piece in retrospect. <laughs> um, there's a there's a, we we see uh, uh, at one point uh, Buggy the Clown as well with uh, with Alvia, and then after that we have the Gorosei who have like brought in uh, Sir Don Quixote do Flamingo and Sir Bartholomew Kuma, and so he's holding up the Bible and doing all that, and that's how the chapter ends. So. Fun little blast of the past. That'd be fun to kind of uh, look at that again. And uh, he's, I remember him being like, I'm looking at 234 next. I, I remember him being so stoic and very uh, interesting 
right? Um, but not not a lot of clues. Like I, I don't I don't see like a lot of world building that's really gonna like set off like who he is. So we know that when he was a warlord of the sea, uh, his bounty got to two hundred and ninety six million berries. This is Kuma, and yeah, just point that out. Very interesting. Yeah, it, you know, it's there's a. Um... There's a lot of uh, Jaya and Skypea, I think, uh, retrospective that's been happening over the past couple of years, where it's become more and more clear that th- this was around the period of time where Oda was really starting to lay the proper groundwork for the rest of the series. That's um, just been, like you said, we meet the Gorosei here. They have been one of the biggest um, influences in uh in the entire series but this is where they were introduced um you know we have you know, jaya's where we also met blackbeard for the first time um, and literally this chapter like right after is our first introduction to whitebeard and right. shanks coming back into the story it, it yeah looking back it really feels like it, it's it's fascinating that you really bring this up oh and then is, blackbeard like with the yeah like that that sh- money shot of him and the other pirates too Wow, this is a 234 is like a very key chapter in the grand scheme. Of yeah, yeah, this very first it's meeting. It's literally called Please Remember. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's kind of wild. Um, and it was so far back in retrospect, but it really feels like the broader strokes of what Oda really wanted to accomplish start to come into place here. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to get a lot of um, reevaluation of this um, and other stuff like Whole Cake Island, where Whole Cake Island still kind of feels like it's a little bit of a detour from what we were trying to do originally. But I mean, now with the with with Stussy and um, and CP Zero now here uh, and all the mad stuff, it's really clear that we needed that detour, and there was a lot being sown in that. Um, basically for after Wano, like, like, Hey, we're going to sow these seeds real quick. We're going to resolve Sanji stuff. Cause I need him to go through some character stuff in Wano. We're going to get through Wano and then some really interesting stuff is going to pop off. Cause I'm going to start th- those, those seeds that I've been planting all those years back um, are starting to pan are starting to pay off here. Yeah. Um, since you bring up those two chapters though, um, I've pulled them up here now for myself as well. Do you think Kuma was uh, already being converted at this point? that's a that's been a main thing right of like when did that happen for him because i because then not long after that is when we do have the thriller bark thing and then we have sabati archipelago where he seems to be moving toward like what he you know has been having like in the grand scheme of things i think he's yeah i think he's undercover at this point or i think there's something going on with him that's like even if he doesn't know it that he is like working under some kind of like directive or some kind of thing like allied with Vegapunk in some key yeah. way because yeah. he's still just, sentient in all of this too. He's yeah. still having dialogue and everything like that. So it, if it's, if it's started, it can't have been too long. Mm-hmm. And I think things like kind of deteriorated for him right after the war, which would make kind of sense. Right. And then after yeah. the war, and then like when he's guarding the straw hats, ship and you know clearly like him sending the straw hats away was for their benefit and so we know at that point you know he's being nice mm-hmm. and but th- there's something that must have happened between thriller bark and Sabati archipelago that pushed him to do what he did right yeah and and so here's a here's a thing that i want to ask you do you think jesus exists in one piece this is not a this is not a non sequitur <laughs> i promise jesus burgess yeah no, no, like the <laughs> the other one, the other one. Uh, <laughs> oh, you mean like there's gonna be some kind of like um, 
some some kind of like one to one between like the Jesus Messiah story and a One Piece character? No, more like Kuma is literally introduced holding a Bible and reading it in his actual like title card um, into in 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 the in the chapter that we're looking at. You now, think he died for our sins? And rose no, again? I think uh, you know. And this is just, you know, religious trauma speaking to me now. Now that I am revisiting this, um, what if this is some sort of, like, like uh, redemption thing? All of this. Mm. Well, if you look um, at the front of that Bible. Not for Kuma two, dying for the sea, you know. Oh, if you ahead. look at that Bible in 234, though, and you get a close, close look at it when his hand isn't totally covering it. And we see this kind of, like, we see kind of like a seraphim-esque thing, like with the right. wings. The very nature of the seraphim to begin with, right? Is that um, Joy Boy? I I don't know if it's I, again. I don't know if we're like going for an actual Christ allegory so much it as it's just a clouds. very easy. It has yeah. the sun behind him. It's like the dawn. Maybe maybe it's some maybe it's a Bible, not necessarily the Bible as we know it. Um, but again, like yeah, that idea of some sort of of some sort of penance. Um, real real Catholic hours here. <laughs> Well, because so Joy Boy speak. would be the original. Joy Boy would be the original Jesus, wouldn't he? Because of like, it, well, the yeah, fact that yeah, like Luffy had to die um, to be like the his like freest self, and Joy Boy made a mistake, or like Joy Boy basically like um, he had the apology, right? Fishman Island. That's how we're introduced to him. Right. Um, there is a lot to that, there, and there is a lot to like this idea of pre like this whole thing, like there being like a, a an Old Testament, you know. And like Jesus exists in the Old Testament, uh, but Luffy exists in the New Testament as like the actual manifestation of it. Dang it, there is something there, isn't there? Yeah, it's 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 interesting because nor in, in every other context you would not like Galileo isn't referenced at all in One Piece. You know, we're not seeing. You know, Nami is a great navigator and has read a lot of navigation books and and all that, but we don't hear about like. You know, like characters are inspired by historical figures. We don't have a Sir Francis Drake. We have an ex Drake. You know what I mean? And he's a mm-hmm. dinosaur man. Um, you know, Mar- Marshall D. Teach himself is is inspired by a real person. We have tons of of those in One Piece. And then there's just the Bible, which has always been kind of a curious thing, um, and one of those fun like, oh, this is kind of weird that like the Bible exists in One Piece. But like, I wonder if it's a. I'm just wondering if it's symbolism, if it's just a reference point, because Kuma even says like, you know, two Sengoku's calling them sea scum. He's like, yes, that's correct. That is what I am, and that's either an act or it's guilt, right? Like that's right. Mm-hmm. But he's never yeah. really struck us as particularly violent. He's never struck us as like an actual antagonistic pirate. Um, every single, like, even before Sabote, you know, he was willing to negotiate with Zoro for Luffy's release. Um, so again, he clearly had agency during that period of time. And it, it just begs the question again, what is well, his the, deal? What is homie's deal? Well, and then don't forget with the Bible stuff. There's the, the Noah, there's literally an the arc Noah reference, it's which very, is an old uh, Testament thing, old Testament um, thing. And and also, what is the void century, but the time when the Israelites were in the wilderness, right? Like, oh, isn't there, yeah, okay. There's a whole period where they have to go to the promised land. What is the promised land? But, you know, a place that you have to find that, you know, it a has tale. treasure. <laughs> I, 
Uh, I mean, there's no way it's just one to one like that. Because, like, manga artists love using biblical allegory. They love it. It's their favorite thing. Um, You know, just just like we love uh, borrowing from myths. Please don't leave negative comments. Uh, (laughs) But like, (laughs) well, like Greek mythology is something that it's like similar. We love you know, we love pulling from that, and I think mangaka love doing the same thing, but with Christianity, which is not a thing that would fly here. in a, in a western thing mm-hmm. uh but you know it's it i can't get that out of my head it's we're so close to finding out what is the deal with bartholomew kuma and at this point if we can resolve that you know you pointing out again that kuma was introduced at the same time as don uh, uh Del flamingo we will have resolved one of the biggest mysteries of the entire series yeah, I just can't get now I'm starting to think of like the D clan is like the chosen people. And, <laughs> no, but seriously, like and, and, and is, it's like a and it's like a tribe rather than just like a bloodline or something. And right? they're, they're separated. They're in different places. Like there's a clear sort of, you know, and there's like a, an agenda to get rid of them against them. They, they get blamed for all the world's problems. A, go- a governmental one, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I mean, we, the world government has always been very fascistic, but we right. haven't. We've never really gotten like a full on sort of like World War Two sort of arc, but who knows? I mean, yeah, I we, we, we I still don't know. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think that'll happen necessarily. But like, I mean, the the secrets of the Void Century are, of course, going to be ultimately what did they do? Mm-hmm. What happened? Right. And it's not going to be pretty. Whatever it is, it's not going to be pretty. Um, I trust that Oda has had this in mind again for a very, very long time. I I have no doubt in my mind that it'll I mean, be if, we're, if there was a like worldwide sketch, but I, I think it's like basically probably um true that there was a worldwide flood you know like in the bible like the all blue the all blue like everything used to be all together like pangea you know and then there was a flood that broke everything out into islands and then that's how we have what we have now but I don't know. I mean, it, do you, it, it definitely do you think is there. That that's po- like, do you think the world government actually like that? Like all the nations are physically connected. Could that be possible? It, I'm just thinking like, is there a Mount Sinai in this? <laughs> sort of <laughs> yeah we're gonna be dissecting it like like uh you and i are gonna be sending like the pokemon the- <laughs> uh, noah thing like we're gonna be just like noah <laughs> like, gonna do, we're gonna do a, a one piece bible study of... yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, gonna... I would be i would be genuinely if oda ever wanted to give a speak i would be absolutely um jazzed at finding out what translation of the bible kuma is using <laughs> <laughs> right uh man what kind of what kind of book is that and he's just like flashing it around um who knows who knows yeah it's 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 it stands out once you once it's pointed out it's hard to forget that oh yeah that's just the bible hypothetically (laughs) well travis as usual we have talked way more than we originally planned um i guess that's just kind of what we do uh, so, uh, once again, if you're listening and you, you have anything you want to add, something we missed or something you think we got wrong, whatever it is, uh, you please join our discord. Uh, so you can find a link to our discord. It's for the discord for in between drafts. We have a server for all one piece spoilers. If you're caught up on the manga, you can chat in there, uh, and hang out with us. But if you don't want to talk spoilers or you kind of want to have more general one piece conversations. We do have people in a, the one piece is real server, which I uh, don't spoil anybody there, but that's just for fun. Basic, like being a one piece fan kind of stuff. So be sure to hang out with us. And uh, Travis, thanks once again for helping me get one piece theories off my chest. Dude, you're the best in the business when it comes to that. 
Uh, just because I get one thing right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Well, you know, we still don't know if you're going to get the Kuma thing right. It's, I, there's a chance. I don't ex- I, if I do, then something is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be back uh, to talk about 1073. Uh, there's no break next week, so oh, yeah, hopefully we'll have a chance sound. to, you know, cover that one too in, in due time. But uh, for now, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>